Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat Burning Man, where we solve the many mysteries of human health and performance. Have you heard all the rage about bone broth? From Gwyneth Paltrow to Kobe Bryant, A-listers are hopping on the broth train. You're about to learn how and why on today's episode of Fat Burning Man with Dr. Kate Shanahan, a board-certified physician who helps pro athletes like Kobe Bryant get smart about nutrition. She even helped all-star center Dwight Howard conquer sugar addiction one Hershey's bar at a time. And I hear he was eating something like 22 candy bars a day, so no small feat. But before we get to the show, remember when you saw my client, Kurt, put the wild diet to test on ABC television? After I showed 47-year-old Grandpa Kurt the wild diet, he shed 50 pounds in six weeks. His wife, Alicia, shed more than 30 pounds in those first six weeks with Wild Diet as well. And by the time we finished the ABC TV show, Kurt lost the most weight and almost double the body fat percentage points of anyone else in the competition. In just 14 weeks, Kurt shed a total of 87 pounds, 22 percentage points of body fat, 10 plus inches off of his waist, and most importantly, He's off all his meds and looks 10 years younger. If you didn't see all of that on the TV show, you can check out My Diet is Better Than Yours. I know, silly title, but it's a pretty funny show on YouTube and uh, Hulu as well. You can also go to fatburningman.com to get some of the exclusive clips, including me dressed up in a full-body bacon costume, never going to live that one down. But if you're wondering if this wacky wild diet stuff might be worth a try, Check this out. Our 30-day wild fat loss program will give you all the tools and support you need to drop the fat with delicious, real food. Hundreds of thousands of people all across the globe turned their health around this past year and shed 20, 50, or even more than 100 pounds with the Wild Diet. And it's taking off. The Wild Diet was just named a top trend by Google in all searches for 2016. The Wild Diet is a New York Times bestselling book and audiobook and has been featured in People Magazine and even Entertainment Tonight. You can get instant access to everything you need to get started today for a limited time discount at fatburningman.com slash 30 days. That's the number 30, D-A-Y-S. You'll even get the 30-day meal plan featured on ABC TV, including the wild chicken parmesan, cowboy burgers, chocolate cookies, and even chocolate pudding. From any device, all you have to do is type in this special link, fatburningman.com slash 30 days. Or if you just want to dip your toes into the wild lifestyle, you can get a free wild diet quick start guide with seven days of meal plans just for joining my newsletter at fatburningman.com. I'll see you there. And by the way, I got literally thousands of questions last month about bone broth. So we decided to put together a handy downloadable guide to help you be more like Kobe and get your broth on. You'll also get foolproof recipes to help you save money and get the most out of your food dollar. I know that's really important to a lot of you listeners. It's important to us as well. So that will be ready super soon at fatburningman.com slash broth. Just type in fatburningman.com slash broth to check that out. Now, on to the show. You're about to learn why Kobe Bryant drinks bone broth, how kicking sugar addiction changed Dwight Howard's life, why vegetable oil is a silent killer, and much more. Let's go hang out with Dr. Kate. All right, folks. Dr. Kate Shanahan is a board-certified family physician. She trained in biochemistry and genetics at Cornell before attending Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. For 10 years, she practiced medicine in Hawaii, where she studied ethnobotany and the culinary habits of her healthiest patients. She currently runs a metabolic health clinic in Denver, Colorado, and serves as the director of the Los Angeles Lakers Pro Nutrition Program. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Shanahan. Glad to be here. Thank you. We've crossed paths on many occasions, but we were talking about this before we started recording. I can't believe this is the first time we've actually had like a face-to-face, but I'm excited because your book is excellent. I know everything that you put out there is uh, is mind-blowing to a lot of the people who find it for the first time, as evidenced by you working with the Los Angeles Lakers and a lot of pro athletes who may or may not be eating 24 Hershey's bars a day. <laughs> we can get into that in a second. But as I understand the fact that Kobe Bryant drinks bone broth... May or may not be your fault. Is that right? Yes, I would have to take responsibility for that one. That's yes, awesome. That, that and the awesome chef at the Lakers facility who makes it for him. Fantastic. So bone broth, for whatever reason, is really taking off right now. What's your take on that? Why is it so important? 
So bone broth is one of these things that people used to do a long time ago. And I think what's happening is we're just seeing a resurgence of stuff that people used to do a long time ago as sort of a backlash to the fact that many people have been woken up by their own medical problems to the reality that we did not know what we've been doing for a while here with diet. And, And bone broth is useful because it is one of what we call the four pillars of world cuisine. These are four components that are common to all diets and that will they really compose the entirety of all traditional diets. I should say not all diets, but all traditional diets back in the day before chronic disease was such an issue. And what bone broth does for us specifically is that when you boil cartilage material in water, with a little bit of acid, which you get from um, some vegetables that the French call a mirepoix, some tasty aromatics like carrots and celery. It extracts these compounds called glycosaminoglycans, which act like growth hormone and growth serum for all the collagen in your body. And collagen is what makes your skin glow, what makes your hair grow. It's great for your joints. And it's also good for your arteries and your kidneys and your gut. Mm -hmm. So athletes, of course, really like the fact that it's good for their joints. And so it's interesting. Actually, it has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties as well as just supporting the general growth and development of joint material. Yeah. So that we actually use it a lot after uh, acute injuries. There was an incident in 2013, I believe, against the Atlanta Hawks when Kobe landed on someone's foot and a really bad sprain on his ankle and yeah. um, it swelled up you know, immediately and we got him a bunch of bone broth immediately because we had had some pre-made by the hotel. And instead of being out for four to six weeks, like was originally predicted, he was out for 12 days and then wow. he's back to court again. So it really is an amazing anti-inflammatory. From old fashioned soup. Yeah, old fashioned soup. What they did was uh, it was just chicken vegetable. Really? Wow. He said it was good. So it's you know I think a lot of people are freaked out, right? They have to, they think that they have to go and like slaughter an animal on their own, find all the bones, bring them back, and put it into this huge pot. But actually, it's 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 really about making old fashioned soup the same way that almost everyone's grandmother used to, or the way like you said they do in in other countries right now that still make traditional foods. It's the right way to make soup. Instead of using these tiny little bouillon cubes that are full of chemicals and who knows what, you're actually using real nutrients from real animals that that hopefully were healthy to begin with. I love celebrating the chefs. The, the chefs do all this stuff anyway. I have right. a really good friend who's in Los Angeles, um, Debbie Lee. She is a Korean and she's always telling me about like how well Koreans always do this Koreans always do that and one of the things that's in that list is they don't waste and Mm -hmm. it's they will try to use every bit of the stuff so that when they make bacon they always save the fat when they make anything with bones they've always saved the bones and so they use in Korea that bone stock is is almost like tea they'll be drinking it throughout the day because it's traditionally traditional households will always have some kind of a bone stock bubbling on the stove Mm -hmm. and they flavor it with all different kinds of things like ginseng and ginger and other Korean or Asian herbs. And it's just like, it is literally like tea is for the English that they'll have all day long. And it's a different kind of pick me up. I remember the first time I had uh, broth made with grass-fed beef bones with a marrow in it. So it was very rich in nutrients that I, I wasn't really used to. And I felt it in my brain, like in my head, like a little buzz that's hard to explain. Within like five to ten seconds, there was something that kind of came over me. Maybe it's like the first time you have coffee or whatever if you don't spit it out. <laughs> but it's like it's a it's a rush that's not jittery. It's like, oh, this is what I was supposed to be having my entire life. You know, that's really interesting that you said about it, it was a marrow-based stock because mm-hmm. the bone marrow has different nutrients than the joints. And so that's a different set of benefits that you're going to get from marrow-based bone stocks. It's going to be a different flavor, obviously. But mm-hmm. what bone marrow has that the joints don't have is branched fatty acids, which are very special fatty acids, which seem to have benefit for our immune system. Mm -hmm. They actually seem to have benefit for our bone marrow, right? So this is almost like a homeopathic way of thinking about health, like the bone marrow of another animal has nutrients that are good for our bone marrow and our immune system. Yeah. 
but it's really important. I want to just want to emphasize because um, you brought it up that you don't necessarily get a lot of those important glycosaminoglycans from having a bone broth soup that is made with bone marrow and right. not with a lot of the joint material because there's like those two different ways of making stock and the bone marrow the marrow bones are a lot easier to come by yeah the joints are well when we're talking about um chicken it, it doesn't make a difference because the whole everything's there sure. but when we're talking about beef stock the joints are like this big right. right the knees and the feet and everything so it's quite an experience trying to get that into a, a, a pot <laughs> it can be, but it can also be super cheap. I remember when we were living by the Smoky Mountains, we were finding grass-fed bones and, and joints, marrow bones even sometimes, for a dollar a pound. Sometimes they'd even just give us like five pounds because, you know, it's a supply and demand thing. And I think, you know, when you start talking about the marrow bones, joint bones, chicken feet, things like that, at least in America, there's not much demand for it yet. But uh, actually, I read recently that almost... All of our, uh, you know, conventional chicken feet are shipped to China because they have a huge appetite for it there. In other countries, you find that they're kind of eating the rest of whatever we're not eating at our expense in a lot of cases. So I think it's it's so important that you're spending time getting people to eat good old-fashioned traditional food. So let's talk about some of the other pillars that you briefly touched on earlier. Organ meats is another big one, right? Yeah, so organ meats are one of the ones that is we don't have the best uh, track record of making them taste good in this country. So a yeah. lot of people have grown up now without ever eating them. And, and really, not a lot of people tell me that they crave liver or uh, kidney pie or anything <laughs> like that. Not from America. Yeah. So, But the reason that you would want to include all kinds of organ meats in your diet is because of the fact that Muscle meat, which is mostly what we get now when we think of like, what do I want for dinner? Oh, I'll have chicken or fish or something like that. It's it's almost always muscle meat. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of nutrition in there, but day after day after day, it's the same nutrients over and over again. You know, aside from the protein, you have iron and a small amount of B vitamins. But each organ in the animal's body concentrates a different set of nutrients. And so to get liver, what we what we get is a whole ton of B vitamins and a bunch of minerals. And um, we also get some omega-3 fatty acids. And when we include kidneys in our diet, we get a whole different set of nutrients. And when you look at the sufficiency in the diet of any given nutrient, the average American is deficient in, uh, in the majority of nutrients and things that we don't like have on the nutrition label, like lecithin and choline and mm -hmm. vitamin B9 and stuff like this. But that's why we have all these supplements that people now are buying because they are worried about the sufficiency of those other nutrients in their diet. And and if you like to buy supplements, that's one way to do it. But mm -hmm. if you really prefer to get it from real food, where is how I prefer to do it, because you know what it is, um, you know, it's the original material it can't be adulterated if it yeah. looks like a kidney. And it's how we usually traditionally did get it. Yeah. But this brings up the idea because a lot of people say, okay, well, you know, if we get past the idea of I don't really love liver, there's ways to make, you know, you should experiment. If you wanted to try this, you can experiment with all different recipes. You'll find one that you like. But the other some that you don't. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully you'll have a pet. <laughs> yeah, she does go in handy, yeah. <laughs> eating some recipes tastes good. Eating others doesn't so much. How about this? How do you how do you make kidneys taste good? Well, what we did when we were in um, New Zealand was we got lamb's kidneys. We sliced them up, fried them in butter, garlic butter, uh -huh. and that was it. And they were good. It was. Okay. It does. Garlic butter is kind of like a. Um, it's like bacon. Uh, a salve. A salve yeah. for <laughs> the unusual food. Right. Yeah, I totally get that. What about so if you do take the supplemental route, things like desiccated beef liver tablets. Is yeah, I recommend that to my patients all the time. Yeah. So a lot of folks worry about toxins. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you talk about liver particularly, they say, isn't liver the detoxification organ of the body? Why, you know, wouldn't we eating it give us some toxins? So this is why it's so important to pay attention to source and make sure that your animals have been grass-fed and living a natural life as mm -hmm. much as possible. And so, you know, it's really worthwhile to go out of your way, if you can afford it, to get that upgraded quality of meat because it is a completely different animal, literally, than an animal that has spent its entire life in cage being force-fed soy. Right. And 
along with that, when you are not on that organic food chain, you're going to be getting the petrochemicals that are in the fertilizer as well as in the insecticides. Mm -hmm. And so those will be bioconcentrated up the food chain and then they're not going to be so good for you. So they'll, they'll, but they won't just be in the liver. They'll be in the, any fatty tissue and, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, so in the, in the meat, if it's a fatty cut, so it's something to think about all the time with every food yeah. and it, along the lines of bioconcentration, when you have that animal that is now living on a healthy, you know, bunch of acres that it's grazing from, it's bioconcentrating the nutrients. Right. So bioconcentration has a good side and a bad side, and it's better to get it from the good side, which you'll do when it's pasture raised. Mm -hmm. But living in, in the modern world, toxins are, are assaulting us all the time. Is there anything that you recommend in particular to mitigate that damage? Yeah. So, you know, let's, this is kind of a, opens the door to a big conversation, which is we talk about toxins that are contaminants in the food chain, right? Mm -hmm. But what we don't talk about is toxins that are a big component of the food chain, toxins right. that compose a substantial portion of the calories in our diet. And what I'm getting to is the fact that vegetable oils, which we now consume in amounts never, uh, you know, much greater than ever before in human history, vegetable oils are toxic yeah. and they compose anywhere from 30 to 60% of the average American's diet uh, calorie wise. Yeah. It's so, unbelievable. And, it's, it is insane that no one's talking about this. So, you know, I'm starting to call it dark calories because vegetable oils are dark calories because they are this mysterious substance that it's almost like invisible. You watch a cooking show and the chef will say, well, now you just pour in your oil mm -hmm. or, it, you know, in, in many cookbooks, they don't specify. They just say oil. And um, you go to a restaurant and they don't have it on the menu. Yeah. They'll tell you all kinds of other stuff. That, we you use know, soy because it's healthy. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. And they'll tell you where they sourced everything. They'll have gluten-free, but but they won't tell you about the vegetable oil, which is going to be the bulk of your calories in a yeah. lot of dishes. So vegetable oil is actually we're consuming it when it, you brought up soy. When it comes to soy, we're consuming a thousand times more than we were in 1909. A thousand times more soy oil. Wow. Nothing else in the food chain nothing else can you say that about, mm -hmm. you know, certainly not that's a, you know, an ingredient, right? A, a major ingredient in your food. So, um, there are a few researchers that are starting to investigate the consequences of this. And, um, and you know, I've spoken to them and they're blown away by the results that they find. Um, one of them, I just posted on my website. She did an experiment where she added linoleic acid to, in the amounts that humans eat to uh, the diet of rats and compared that to a bunch of other diets and like a normal rat chow diet and a, um, a diet where the other fat was coconut oil. And the rats that got the soy oil gained weight faster, twice as fast wow. as the rats eating the regular rat chow. And <clears throat> they didn't eat any more calories. Wow. So this is a real blow to the calories in and calories out model. Right. Some people would say that, oh, well, maybe they were just less active because that does happen, right? As, as mm -hmm. um, people and animals gain weight, they reduce their calorie burn as well. And, you know, that wasn't really tracked in there. But the point is that eating this stuff, however it happens, whether it's through making your body just become uh, a machine at gaining mm -hmm. weight or through making you lazy so you don't want to exercise, the fact is this soy oil consumption in the diet at the amounts that most Americans eat will make rats fat. Yeah. So, and we're also doing the experiment on humans. It's just not called an experiment. <laughs> yeah. But but you see the results all around you every day. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's scary. But the good news, I think, is that we're starting to poke into the mainstream a little bit. And let's touch on that. I, I uh, enjoyed reading about your experience with uh, Dwight Howard who came from this place of, I think it was 24 Hershey's bars a day, and he had like sugar hidden all around his house or something like that. So tell us where where he started and what happened after your intervention. 
So Dwight Howard is a seven-foot center who, who was working with the Lakers at the time um, that I was working with him. This was a couple seasons ago. And um, he'd had to he had had back surgery this summer before he started with the Lakers. And the reason that uh, we really got involved with him was because he wasn't healing properly from the back surgery and he wasn't playing up to the level that he wanted, that any mm-hmm. his fans wanted, that the Lakers wanted. Um, he was, you know, Kobe was making fun of him on Twitter. They were yeah. <laughs> having a Twitter war. As they do. And uh, yeah, and he was really, you know, having a tough time. And so the back surgery he'd had left him with tingling like in his feet. But he also had tingling in his hands. And that was a red flag to me that something was really wrong with his nervous system because the level where his back surgery was was low down in his spine. It should not have affected his hands. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's, he was having having tingling in his hands told me that there was something systemic going on. And he was famous for eating candy. When I met him uh, after giving a talk about uh, you know sugar not being so great, he comes up afterwards with a little brown bag and he has this meekish, <laughs> meek look on his face and a little bag. Yeah. And he pulls out of him and he says, Dr. K... Can I show you something? And and he pulls out a Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh God. And then he says, Oh, I have something else. And he pulls out Rolos. Remember yeah. those things? Wow. I haven't even seen those things since I was a kid. And that was his after lunch snack, you know, and, and he was gonna get more later on. So it, it it was no secret that he loved candy and Ultimately, because he really was disturbed by the fact that he wasn't healing, we we were able to, you know, sit him down and have an intervention and, and help him understand the connection between his symptoms mm-hmm. and the the diet. Because at the time, his body composition uh, was like 8% body fat. So there's a lot going on that we can't see in the form of overweight. And right. that's a big, you know, that's why I was working with the Lakers, because uh, very few of them really have any serious weight issues. I wasn't mm-hmm. doing it to help them lose weight, although we do optimize their body composition much more easily on this kind of a fat burning diet, yeah. as you're familiar with. But the other end of it is the vegetable oils and sugars that most Americans don't know they're consuming and getting that out of their diet enables their bodies to heal, to heal from anything that may be going on. If you if you are consuming vegetable oils and sugars at the amount most Americans consume, which combined the two together are up to around 70 to 80% of an American's total calories, the average person. If you have any problem, it's not going to heal as well while you're eating those things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm talking about anything, whether it's asthma or you're battling cancer or you wonder if your memory is starting to slip or you have bipolar disorder or even autism. There's been uh, there's a movie that's going to come out that's going to show what happens when you take this kind of junk food away from there's a, the child in the movie is five and she's a nonverbal autistic girl and you get her on a real food diet, get the vegetable oils and sugars out of her life. And within a few weeks, she's starting to talk. She was using utensils for the first time in her life. She was focusing on what people were saying. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Well, that brings us, I guess, to epigenetics, uh, which is another thing I really wanted to talk about with you. Because a a lot of people have been told, especially if they struggle with, with their weight or their health, that, oh, it's just in your genes. It's just, you know, the cards that you've been dealt. And that's what I was told in my early 20s when I started to have problems with my thyroid and getting overweight and a bunch of different things. That's just the way it is, and you're going to be medicated for the rest of your life. But science now is starting to show that that's not the case, that we actually have a, we can exercise quite a bit of power over how our bodies perform and function based upon uh, not just how we eat, but also our lifestyle. So, yeah, absolutely. Epigenetics is the science of understanding how genes are expressed or how they are activated by stuff that we do on a daily basis in our lives, like sleep or not sleep, smoke, what kind of nutrients we get, that kind of thing. It's, you know, it was as opposed to the old way of thinking was that your genes are hardwired. They're just going to do what they're going to do. It's more like they're software as well. And uh, one of the ways that you can manipulate the on off buttons in your genes is through diet and other lifestyle modifications. And so what I learned through all of this was that basically if somebody has an illness, there's a reason for it. And when in general, you can say that 
our genes have these expectations. They have these nutritional and lifestyle expectations. And when we get sick, it's because one of those expectations or more was not met for the gene one too many times. And Mm -hmm. the gene just doesn't function right. Either it won't express when it should or it will express when it won't. But it is not like a letter code mutation so that it can be reversed potentially. So the things that cannot be reversed so easily are the letter code mutations. So, you know, like these are some of this, for example, some of the rare genetic disorders where mm-hmm. like cystic fibrosis, sure. you know, people have a gene in there that's mutated. Um, some cancers are now you have hardwired mutations in your genes. But even with that, the better your lifestyle, the better the other genes can express. And mm-hmm. the, the genetic code is really intelligent and really capable of adapting when one part may not be working right. It's just like if you get a splinter in your toe, you don't fall down. Mm-hmm. You have muscles that you can accommodate. You know, you just you maybe will limp a little bit, but you can still move forward. And sometimes yeah. you don't even slow down. Yeah. And you can kind of cover up. Well, we all have the potential in in our code our genetic code to develop horrific diseases all of us right but the trick is when you live the right life when you when you eat clean when you get sleep when you do the old-fashioned things that we all kind of used to do as humans naturally all of a sudden it seems like those things don't kind of spring up as a problem like they do when people are on say the standard american diet and to go back to to dwight howard you'd you'd think looking at someone like that he's a massive ripped dude who's super strong and has always kind of been that way but after he started following your advice uh, i think i read that he got down to like from six or eight percent body fat to three percent body fat and started recovering a lot faster yeah, it was quite like insane how how low that these guys want to go so they can jump like another half inch or something yeah, like right. that. But yeah, so the, what really changed what was really made me happy was that, you know, once he got this stuff out of his diet, he his performance was noticeably improved. Like the announcers mm-hmm. were saying things like, oh, the old Dwight is back like the next weekend, right? This was wow. over the all-star break. He had taken um, the, the the junk out of his diet. Mm-hmm. They literally carried it out in boxes. And then by a week later, he was, you know, not the, what alerted me to the issue mm-hmm. was that, um, you know, he's standing there under the basket and people are trying to pass him the ball and his hands are like this, ready to catch the ball. And he just doesn't have like the athlete's reflexes. They were, it was bouncing off of him like he was wearing oven mitts or something yeah. like that. Huh. And so that's kind of the one of the things that happens. It's called a dysesthesia when your nervous system is distracted by extraneous signals and you just can't react properly. It's uh, on the way to developing a chronic pain syndrome. And he, he could have really gone down a wrong path mm-hmm. if he didn't get off of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But getting off of it changed a lot of stuff really quickly, partly because he has these awesome genetics, but also partly because I think it gave him, just understanding it for himself, gave yeah. him a lot of hope. Because after six, eight months of not recovering and your performance is going the wrong way, you start to doubt everything and you can't do that yeah. you know, on the basketball court. Well, I remember when I first really started to understand the effect that all these lifestyle factors have on your performance, the way you feel, your health and all that. It's an, it's an empowering feeling because before that, it's like these are the cards you're dealt. And if you get old, you get old. That's the way it is. And and you don't perform like now you're you're the old Dwight, right? <laughs> or or the wrong, the wrong kind of old anyway. But you can actually kind of turn back the clock. Yes, actually, vegetable oil is liquid age, okay, Mm -hmm. because it is that toxic, it is that unhealthy. The kind of toxic effect that it has is uh, something it calls, I'm sorry, it's called oxidative stress. That's Mm -hmm. what it promotes. It's got to do with free radicals. Smoking causes oxidative stress, and we know smoking has effects on the skin and the lungs that essentially accelerate your aging. Well, vegetable oil doesn't just affect your skin and your lungs, you take it into your body, it becomes you. It becomes every part of your body and every tissue in your body. So every tissue in your body is essentially going to be subject to an accelerated aging process. And how exactly that manifests is different in every unique, genetically unique individual, Mm -hmm. somewhat defined by family history. But so exactly what will happen is somewhat unpredictable, but it is 
predictable that something bad will happen and that conversely getting it out of your diet. So I, I kind of like think of this now as, as though 60 years ago, Americans entered unknowingly mm -hmm. into a massive medical experiment where we started eating essentially what one way of looking at it is we started eating the cheapest possible food, right? Mm -hmm. Vegetable oils are very cheap yep. to produce, cheap to manufacture, long shelf life. They make everything that you put them in um, have a long shelf life. So they're used in like every processed food yeah. and lots of blood sugar raising food and carbohydrates and, um, you know, high fructose corn syrup and all this. And this was an experiment. Actually, it was a literal experiment called the Minnesota Coronary Experiment that started but it started in Minnesota in like the 19 late 1950s by a man named Ansel Keys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was designed because he his theory was that saturated fat caused heart disease, right? Mm -hmm. Um and uh, I think we've all heard that theory. And yeah, so with the Minnesota coronary experiment, what Ansel Keys did was he designed two diets. One was a high saturated fat diet, the other was a high vegetable oil diet. And his mm -hmm. hypothesis was twofold that um, eating the vegetable oil would lower your cholesterol and that that would translate to reduced rates of heart attacks, strokes and reduced deaths. Yeah. Right. OK. So what he did was he had about uh, nearly a thousand people recruited into the study. And the first phase of the study was simply to just answer the question, does it lower cholesterol? And the answer was yes, it did lower cholesterol pretty significantly. It lowered total cholesterol by about 30 points. Mm -hmm. But they, the second part of the study was never published until recently when a medical investigator um, team of medical investigators uh, led by Christopher Ramston at the National Institute of Health dug up the data uh, from, um, not to be gross, it wasn't really literally digging it up. It was autopsy um, slides. He didn't sure. have to go back to <laughs> the ground or anything and looked for evidence of that secondary endpoint, which is, you know, what they never published. Mm -hmm. What did it reduce arteriosclerosis? Did it reduce evidence of heart attacks, strokes, and death? And he found that, no, it didn't. And, mm -hmm. In fact, it seemed like there was a definite trend in all of those endpoints to the experimental diet being the vegetable oil diet compared to the saturated fat diet being noticeably worse. Yeah. The longer they were in the experiment, people would die sooner and have more heart attacks and have more strokes. That was never published. And it was never published, you know, because either Ansel Keys has this massive ego and he just would rather have people eat you know, unhealthy foods then be shown to be wrong yeah. or because there's some sort of industry conflict of interest that, you know, I don't know about, yeah. but, but there's one thing I didn't tell you about the saturated fat diet. It wasn't butter. It was margarine mm -hmm. and margarine is loaded with trans fat. Yeah. And so for this diet with these vegetable oils to be actually worse than trans fat means it's really bad <laughs> that's it's, really bad trans fat is so bad that they've outlawed it right. in new york city and some other progressive cities yeah so and this was worse yeah and so you know my take on this is that i really feel like ansel keys and all the people that were participating in that experiment they are killers because when you're doing science that pertains to health mm -hmm. and you find something that is really unhealthy that kills people and you keep it quiet yeah. for ego or whatever, that's a crime. Yeah. You have you have skin in the game there. You have killed people. Right. And how many millions of people have had heart attacks and strokes from believing in this. Right. And that's why I say that we, you know, we are, America is still participating in this massive medical experiment where we're consuming unprecedented amounts of these vegetable oils that are full of polyunsaturated fats that are loaded with toxic material yeah. that promote this oxidative stress. And it seems like it's safe to say that this experiment is not turning out all that well. <laughs> 
Oh, right. Well, you know what? In terms of experiments, it's been a, it has been a success because yeah. when an experiment has an outcome, <laughs> right. it definitely has results. It's like, wow, that's a really successful experiment. Yeah. But the thing is, the results are really bad. Right. And, we, you know, we should have ended this experiment mm -hmm. because we got results. We should have ended it a long time ago. And it, it is definitely safe to say that because Oxidative. Well, we. I mean, we know we have the data that was now finally published in. Uh, I believe it was the British Medical Journal about uh, August of 2006, mm -hmm. showing that this there is this definite trend towards increased heart attacks, increased strokes, and increased deaths. So yeah. we know that. But if you understand the biochemistry, which is what I talk about in deep nutrition, to get people to kind of understand the other results of this experiment we've yeah. been involved in, you know it has genetic effects. Mm -hmm. So not just epigenetic, but permanent letter code genetic effects. That are passed Autism. on to your children and yes. their children. And their children, right. And it also has this oxidative stress concept. And oxidative stress, like I say, is kind of like the great disease maker. It is why I call vegetable oil liquid age. Because if you go to any medical meeting or you look up the cause of any medical problem, yeah, any chronic disease medical problem, whether it's even things like celiac disease or uh, you know mood disorders or mm -hmm. thyroid problems, oxidative stress, you're going to see a connection there. And when we're consuming 40% of our calories from this stuff that promotes oxidative stress more than anything else we've ever eaten in history, more than any other fat, more, I, I would go out on a limb and say more so than smoking because it gets into our body. Sure. And we're, we're weaning children on this stuff. Yeah. Infant formula is made out of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So the experiment has shown to be the biggest most humongous health catastrophe anyone could ever have imagined. Our current health system is basically the economy, right? Is yeah. doctors, nurse practitioners, pharmaceutical industry, laboratories, hospitals. This is a bigger part of our economy than any other component of yeah. the economy. And it's it's not a good one. We're not making people healthier. We're yeah. we're we're just selling drugs. Yeah. And that's another thing you mentioned in your book. People assume that medicine is just science, really, but it's it's really built to be a business. And that's another big problem with with and, and a reason why we're at where we are right now. Right. It's why we won't stop this experiment, even though we have all the results we could possibly want, because mm -hmm. it turns out, well, you know, Selling cheap food is good for business. It's yeah. good for the people who make the food, and it's good for people who treat the effects of the food. Right. And and I didn't know this, but you know, when I graduated medical school, I was essentially a worker in the facility where they're conducting this experiment. Right. Mm -hmm. I was, I was telling people to keep eating your unhealthy food, and when you have problems, come back and see me, and I'm going to write up a prescription for that problem. That's going to you know, make you feel like you're doing something proactive. Right. And Ick. not much else. <laughs> well, anyway, I want to make sure that we also cover uh, symmetry because that was one thing that really stood out to me in your book. It's something that I've always tried to focus on uh, as, as a runner and as an athlete, but it really extends to your entire life. And when you look at people who have been eating traditional foods in the way that they were raised, you have startling pictures in your book that kind of demonstrate symmetry in action. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important? Yeah, so there's a kind of symmetry that we talk about that is called dynamic symmetry. It is a little like biradial symmetry. It actually includes biradial symmetry, which we're all more familiar with, which is like, you know, the left side of your face matches the right side of your face. But dynamic symmetry is how our parts all fit together. It's why when, you know, a baby's hand grows, it looks like an adult hand. It's why when we fold our fingers together, everything fits neatly mm -hmm. because dynamic symmetry is this very special ratio. It's based on this very special ratio that allows parts to maintain their proportions as they grow. And right. so it enables our teeth to all fit inside our face. It enables our eyeballs to have an, enough space so that we don't need glasses. So I'm missing some symmetry here. <laughs> and in nature, when an organism is allowed to grow and, you know, given the right environment, whether it's a, a tree or a person. So if it's a tree, they need a certain amount of sunlight and water when it's a and, that, and then that tree will be will develop with this symmetry. It'll have branches according to the, the right ratio. 
and it'll be quite a beautiful tree. Mm -hmm. And the same goes with people. If people have been fed throughout their entire genetic history with the right kind of nutrients that enables that growth to take place according to that formula, it's actually related to the Fibonacci sequence, mm -hmm. and the formula is called Phi, P-H-I. It, it's 1.6... I'm sorry, one point, yeah, 1.618, and it goes on and on and on forever. Mm -hmm. That enables us to have all of our parts in proportion so that everything functions ideally. And when this happens, we actually can recognize that we don't need to get, you know, pull out a protractor and measure the degrees of your face or, you know, we, we actually respond to it emotionally because our brains have the same the same kind of growth within the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially we recognize something familiar out there in the outside world. We recognize that pattern and our brains resonate with it. It's, it's, it's almost like a 1970s good vibration kind of concept, <laughs> but it's, it's actually really what happens. Yeah. And so we emotionally feel good when we see these, these anything that has this this kind of symmetry and when it's a person or a person of the opposite sex we feel really attracted to them mm -hmm. for that that reason of it. what we're doing is identifying a healthy person that's it yeah. that's all it is it's so that we can reproduce as successfully as possible and so that that child will have the most uh the best chance at surviving in you know what used to be a very tough world survival wise, but it is still a very tough world success wise. Mm -hmm. If you want your child to be successful and, you know, be smart and be able to be good in sports and socially on top of the game, it's important to have all those parts in proportion. And this, it's all the way down to the cellular level of the brain cell. Mm -hmm. And so when our brain cells are built right, our brains work better as well. So it's basically your, your subconscious is recognizing the golden ratio in other people, which implies genetic fitness. And that's why you want to pass those genes on because those, those are probably very good genes. It's kind of a shorthand, right? It is. It's exactly a shorthand. It's a way of um, y your DNA to talk to other people's DNA. I'm not mm -hmm. going to say mine because I'm married. Sure. But <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's how, you know, we are. You're right. It is subconscious. We're, we're connecting at this primal level really and that's what it's all about to make sure that our dna which doesn't particularly care about us and our personal experience it, it's really yeah. selfish it just wants to be able to go on and on and on forever that's what it's been doing yeah but boy when you look at those before and after pictures i know that that we get a lot sent to us in our community and all of that and it's not just that people are losing weight or, or getting fit you can see that that you know if they were on the one through ten that awful scale of how attractive someone is um they're going up a few notches when they're making these changes. You can see it in their face, in their eyes, their cheeks, the way that their whole body is organized. Yeah, we don't always, you know, we can't, you know, if you want to break it down to what can change and what can't change, which is a really fascinating topic, it, we change our skin just the way it looks, you know, whether mm -hmm. we have acne or not, the blood flow to it, so it gets more of a glow. We also change the fat distribution in our face. Mm -hmm. And so that it, it would, instead of having fat under the chin, which is a, not a very attractive location, it will really go more to the cheeks, give right. us a little bit more youthful glow there. And you know, my, uh, there are some skeletal changes that take place because I myself actually grew three quarters of an inch when I was 35 really? um, after starting this. Wow. And and it wasn't like my long bones. It was to yeah. put me back in a better proportion because I'm short waisted. And so it lengthened that short part of my waist. How about that? Um, yeah. So I was like, wow, I cool. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the guys in the NBA would love that. Oh, <laughs> they'll yeah. grow the equivalent of six inches or something <laughs> eight right. feet tall now My Lord. yeah yeah i mean the guys that start young enough i would say they they may get another inch or two uh, you know out of doing this sure it's not necessarily like getting an extra inch as much as it is though reversing the damage that uh, or, or the lack of development that you've experienced from being malnourished when you were younger right 
Absolutely. Yes. It's putting your metabolism back in balance Yeah. because when you have a, 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 a diet that's composed of vegetable oils and sugars, you have all that oxidative stress. And the reason oxidative stress is the great disease maker is because it interrupts a lot of the complicated communication between your hormones yeah. in your body. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, uh, you know, you get you know, vitamin D will now work better. Your your testosterone will now work better. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you have a vegetable oil and sugar diet for too long, sometimes your hormone making systems kind of give up, right? Right. So there's a lot of people, young people with low T and Mm -hmm. it's going to improve when their diet improves because what happens is the, the hormone systems kind of there's feedback loops that are positive and negative and that if you're not producing enough hor- enough hormone, you actually produce less and less and you kind of dwindle mm-hmm. down in a negative spiral that you can break out of by getting these two things out of your diet and getting back on what we call a human diet. And so that's, you know, the, all four of the four pillars together compose yeah. the human diet. Yeah. Awesome. So we're, we're coming up on time, but before we go, I want to make sure that we, we talk about what people should be eating. Because essentially, it seems like you, you take the food pyramid and flip it on its head, right? And uh, I think one of the articles that was that was written up about the macros of the NBA players that you work with, I think it was like 50% healthy unprocessed fats and then 25, 25 protein and carbs. Is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. Because what it is is really just natural foods that we like are going to be composed roughly of those things. Like if you yeah. look at the composition of a nut, mm-hmm. it's you know more than half the calories come from fat, and then a fairly equal balance between carbs and protein. And and that's true for really like any kind of a meal that a good chef would put together anyway. Right. You know, we, when you have if you have, we don't take anything out of the diet arbitrarily. Like we we don't say that you have to avoid wheat or potatoes or anything that, uh, you know, dairy, we certainly don't do that. Any actual food that's been part of a culinary tradition for thousands of generations, we want to keep it because it's hard enough to get real food these days, right? right? So if you start taking real food out uh, off of your list, it becomes a lot more difficult. One of my favorite fast foods is just cheese and nuts. Yeah. So it's it's a healthy lunch. So just so people who are listening who may not be familiar with with fats and the different qualities of them, vegetable oils doesn't mean olive oil. So could you differentiate between healthy fats and unhealthy fats when you're actually walking into the grocery store, say? Right. So when I say vegetable oil, I'm referring to corn, cottonseed, canola, soy, sunflower, safflower, or any oil that's been processed the mm-hmm. way those oils have. And so you can now add rice bran oil um, to that list, and then some grapeseed oils okay. can be added to that list. It is the processing steps that are you know, invisible to us. We can't tell if it's been processed, but we do know that those six oils are almost always processed. Right. Peanut oil is one that can be and can be good or can be bad depending mm-hmm. on if it's processed. So you have to use two other senses. One is your sense of taste. If it has flavor, it hasn't been processed to death because the processing tends to strip away all the flavor. And mm-hmm. if you taste canola oil or soy oil, it's pretty bland. Yeah. But a good olive oil has a lot of flavor. A bad olive oil doesn't. Right. So, and your other sense is your your sense of cash. <laughs> that should be like the seventh sense. Yeah. <laughs> because if it's um, making that little cash sense blink, oh boy, this is expensive, it's probably good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's also priced at, at a fair price. I found that, you know, of course, some things that are super expensive are, are marked up. But actually, when you look at uh, cheap food, processed food, that stuff is marked up way more than what seems to be more expensive, but is actually food, right? So you're getting yeah, a lot more yeah. mileage out of your food dollar when you buy that or uh, that olive oil that you can actually taste that is unprocessed versus the stuff that may be you know laced with corn oil or whatever with a little bit of green food coloring that you see at restaurants, you know, in the middle of the table. Yeah, if you're spending more money on food, you are opting out of that 60-year experiment because the 60-year experiment was designed to see what happens when we eat the cheapest possible food. Yeah. So it's definitely worth it. And another thing, since you are a doctor, could you comment just a little bit about how uh, 
the food budget and the medical budget should really all be considered kind of the lifestyle budget and and what the implications are of having high medical costs. I love that concept because if you are, you know, opting into this medical experiment by buying cheap foods, you will be spending more time in mm-hmm. the doctor's office, in the hospital, and you know, you're going to be spending money, your money, especially, you know, depending on what happens as the healthcare uh, system is constantly changing. You'd be spending more and more money, I think, in the future on on medications yeah. and, uh, you know, to sustain your your unhealthy diet, essentially. Right. You know, and it's not easy to make habit changes. It's not something you can just do in a snap. So we try to break down, you know, what's a good first step to do mm-hmm. in our book, Deep Nutrition, yeah. to get you back on that human diet. And it is a wonderful book. So before we go, could you tell tell folks out there what you're working on right now and where they can find you in your books? Sure. So our book's going to be available on January 3rd, 2017, and it will be available in bookstores everywhere. You can check um, out my website, drkate.com, drcat.com for uh, lots of other information as well. And what I'm working on now is um, continuing to work with the Lakers because we're they're actually expanding their meal program. They're now going to be including really? dinners at, at, after the game because the coach, um, Walton, is really awesome and into this diet. I'm super excited about that. And I'm going to be working on another book. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I I know what that entails. So best of luck to you in in all of that. And uh, all of you who are listening out there, I mean it when I say that your book, Deep Nutrition, is one of the best that I've read as it relates to traditional foods and all of the implications of what happens when you do eat them or you don't eat them and what you can do about really improving your own life. Just good old-fashioned simplicity is, Thanks, is what it takes. And I, I really appreciate the work that you do. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And we'll have to have you on again soon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Before you go, don't forget to grab your listener discount on our 30-day fat loss plan. In this plan, we share 30 days of mouth-watering wild diet meal plans that are designed to help you drop fat with real food. The meal plans are paleo-friendly, easy to make, and literally the meals that my wife Allison and I eat just about every day and night to stay lean, fit, and happy. In the program, you'll get the most effective method of meal and nutrient timing to best stimulate fat loss and muscle recovery, the truth about how much protein you really need for your body type, 30 days of specific healthy fat-burning meal plans as a done-for-you nutrition strategy, and tons more. If you check it out today, you'll even get a listener discount. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com forward slash 30 days. That's the number 30, D-A-Y-S. Once again, that's fatburningman.com forward slash 30 days. I'll see you there. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fat Burning Man. If you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the podcast app, or wherever else you might be listening to or watching this show. Got a second? Please leave me a quick review on iTunes. I always love hearing from you, and if you think someone else might like and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or with a family member. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at FatBurnMan and Facebook by typing in Abel James or FatBurningMan. Drop me a line anytime. Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man, winning four awards in independent media and hitting number one in more than eight countries? And here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode for free. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com I'll give you a second to type it in fatburningman.com and you'll get all the show notes and video and audio versions for all the past episodes of Fat Burning Man better yet enter your best email at fatburningman.com sign up for my newsletter and I'll even send you a quick start guide to start burning fat right now and a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free fat burning download straight to your inbox and make sure that you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.